0: You're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. In this episode, I interview Charleston Waterkeeper Executive Director, Andrew Wonderly. We talk about everything from how Charleston Waterkeeper is fighting to keep our water clean, how plastic pollution is Charleston's dirty little secret, the impact climate change is having on Charleston's water quality, And how nature has already engineered the perfect climate solutions. Hope you enjoy. This episode of The Sustainable Angler is brought to you by Emerger Strategies. Climate change is the single greatest threat to fish on the planet. That's why we're on a mission to solve the climate crisis by helping your business go carbon neutral and zero waste. To learn more visit EmergerStrategies.com. I'll kind of provide, I guess, a little bit of background for everyone listening Um, in terms of Charleston Waterkeeper and and, and how Andrew and I met um, was through, and and I'll have to just go ahead and kick things off with um, a tip of the hat to Charleston Waterkeeper. I, I moved to Charleston seven years ago um and when i first moved here i was looking for um, a way to get involved in the community and and um, support conservation work and i started volunteering for charleston Waterkeeper, and it was such a um such a valuable um mutually beneficial thing just <laughs> as, just as a volunteer because yeah. i was able to um do good conservation work through Charleston Waterkeeper volunteering, uh, but then also made a lot of uh, f- uh, friends and, and, and contacts along the way, and, and including Andrew. So, um, if you're moving to Charleston, you should look to uh, to get involved with Charleston Waterkeeper. But that was just my experience. Um, so, I wanted to, to really get things kicked off though with um, just getting a little bit of of your back. Andrew. I know that you've been uh, uh, with Charleston Waterkeeper since its inception, I believe, and um, just kind of wanted to to get things kicked off with uh, a little bit of background on yourself and and Waterkeeper.
1: Yeah, um, well, and and thanks for kicking off with the Volunteer Corps. We're real (laughs) proud of that. It's just a great program and highly encourage folks to get involved. You know, that's, you know, especially folks moving to town, you know, a lot of folks don't have that kind of experience like in the salt marsh, in the mud, in the creeks, on the oyster beds. And so, you know, we're kind of the gateway to a lot of that for folks, which is really interesting because I think, you know, once you get out there and you experience those types of habitats and those type of, you know, marine and estuarine environments firsthand, you can't help but fall in love. Um, you know, it is more than just a pretty view out there, right? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Getting folks out there, getting them muddy, getting them wet, you know, maybe even a little cut up and bruised and sore, I think is, uh, is always a good thing for conservation. So, you know, the more you, you know, get your hands on and, you know, it, it makes such a big difference for folks. But yeah, um, geez, I started with Charleston Waterkeeper, uh, back in 2011 and I was actually, um, I think technically the second employee, it was uh really, really startup at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, had just gotten a board of directors together, had just kind of gotten a sense of itself and uh, had a uh, had a uh, founding executive director and water keeper. And, you know, I, I came on in, in 2011 to sort of, you know, build some structure and, and, you know, put some meat behind the program and the advocacy work, you know, how are we going to be charleston's voice for clean water right, and you, you know we we set about set about doing that work and uh, you know built out a water quality monitoring program, built out a volunteer program uh, and you know really started looking at what issues you know were important. Both in terms of the overall health of our of our estuary here, but you know also you know what issues were important to the folks that were using them. You know the fishermen, the surfers, the paddlers. The, you know believe it or not, there's a big open water swimming community here, right? You know, even you know recreational boaters and beach beachgoers and you know photographers. I mean, there's you know everybody's got these really great, interesting, and very very personal connections to the water. And so, you know, in, in 2015, I, um, you know, our, our founding director, Waterkeeper, moved on. And then I um, I took the reins at that point as director and waterkeeper. And, you know, it's been on since then. <laughs> it's just been really, I mean, it's it just seems like, you know, everything kind of started firing all cylinders and we were able to really, um, you know, r- really just, you know, get out there and be super active and, and, um, and, and make some good things happen for clean water. I think, you know, my, my personal connection, you know, I I come to this work as, as a, as a surfer and a swimmer. And, you know, I've always had that sort of personal connection through what I love to do, uh, which, you know, I, I think, you know, you hear this a lot, you know, you protect what you love. And, you know, the, the thought of, it being too polluted to surf or it being too polluted to host any of these open water swims that we have here in town, or it being too polluted to fish. Like it, it, you know, it's just unbearable. It's something we can't sit idly by and just accept, right. That that's, you know, the march of progress is going to, is going to leave us with waterways that are unhealthy for the things that we love to do. And that's why we exist. That's why we fight for clean water every day. Yep. Um,
0: well, that's awesome. And I'll, um, also say that we we touched on this a little bit um before the we, we started recording but i'll just say too with with the, the volunteer corps um and just in in, in general with, with charleston waterkeeper I, I was telling andrea that it, it it's amazing how much work that um they get done i mean they're they're at uh sponsoring events and happy hours and, and, and always talking and promoting clean water. And um, as a Charleston resident, not just as a, you know, Charleston Waterkeeper member and and volunteer, but as just a resident um, who gets to benefit from the work of Charleston Waterkeeper, which is, you know, I don't know how many tons of of plastic y'all have pulled out of the marsh and 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 the citizen science that that goes behind what y'all do but it's it's uh it's really impressive and it's a it's relentless um in in the best way possible so um thank y'all for 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 all the work that 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 you have uh and continue to do
1: yeah thanks i you know it it, that, and you know this is this is where we need to pause and give a huge shout out to Cheryl Carmack, who organizes uh, all those volunteer events absolutely and coordinates the volunteers and, I mean, talk about like making it happen right um, yep. you know, volunteer events especially just don't happen <laughs> there's a lot that goes behind the scenes, yeah to make sure everything from like where's the trash going after the cleanup to you know, where you park in to waivers. I mean, it just, it, it gets mind boggling really quick. And, you know, we hustle hard at that stuff because folks really like it. You know, they, 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 they the, you, you know, to see folks after spending two hours, like slinging oyster shells or, you know, pulling pig and, you know, the amount of plastic out there, it's, we could get into that more too in a little bit, but, uh, you know, the amount of plastic that's out there in our marshes is just staggering. And, you know, you, you can't, you you can't come and do a cleanup with us and walk away and say no nah, we don't have a problem with plastic pollution right. right if if our if 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 we didn't have any salt marsh here and it were just sandy shoreline or rocky shoreline it would be such a visceral uh, such a, a visceral issue right yep. you, know, you know, people would be screaming from the top of their lungs like what's going on here you know there'd be plastic strewn all up and down the the shoreline of the harbor you just can't see it. It's like our dirty secret, right? You know, it looks beautiful <laughs> when you get down there and close and look at it. And I, you know, the easiest thing for folks to do, and I'm already starting to get onto the plastic pollution thing just cause it's such a, it's such a hot and important issue. But yeah, you know, I mean, if, if you don't believe me, don't take my word for it. You go down to Waterfront Park next time you're downtown, walk up to the railing and just look over into the marsh there. And we just did a cleanup there this weekend and, you know, pulled out, you know, I don't know, a ton of of plastic considering how, you know, how light that plastic material is. I mean, it's staggering, but, um, yeah, you know, there's always so many different ways to get involved, whether it's, you, you know, I mean, we're, you know, hopefully at the tail end of this pandemic right now, but, uh, you know, when we're firing on all cylinders, you know, there's, there's monthly happy hours, there's, you know, two, three, four volunteer events a month sometimes. There's, you know, there's uh you know, there's events like seaweed and the Charleston Farmers Market. And there's just, you know, tons of way to get involved in this, all this activity. I mean, we call it the fight for clean water, but there's so many different components of it. You know, if, if folks, you know, go to the Charlestonwaterkeeper.org backslash volunteer, there's, you know, usually a huge list of events there that you can kind of just get involved in. And it's um it's really neat to see people come and, and do it. And they start coming a few times. You see them yeah. a little bit more, you see them a little bit more. And, you know, that's when you know the light bulb's gone off. And I mean, that's what we need. We need a community of stewards here, you know, to to protect this, you know, protect the special place that we call home here in Charleston. Um, it, You know, it, it, it isn't gonna, it isn't going to stay healthy or it's not going to get healthier and we're not going to be able to clean it up and restore it without People being actively engaged in that work. We can't just set things aside and say, "Oh, yeah, this is you know, we've conserved this over here." I mean, we have to be active participants in it. You know,
0: yeah, and 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 that's that's one of the things. Um, I'm pretty sure it's uh, an Avon chenard quote, but it's the um, the answer for depression is action and,
1: <laughs> yeah. and that's, a re- that's a good one
0: yeah right. and 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 to me that just like nails which i think that's probably why y'all are so successful here is that it, first off once you you're you're sort of the your eyes are open to how how insane the amount of plastic pollution there is and 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 uh everywhere really but you know specific to charleston then you realize, all right, well, I want to do something about it. And y'all
1: provide the vehicle to, 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 to get out and and do it. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you hit on that. It's a great quote, but, and you know, that, that idea of like, you know, that idea of being active. Right. And, it, you know, one of the one of the things I think that's really rewarding for me is this, you know, tiny little sliver of a role that we play sort of in the in the you know process of democracy in a way. Right. Like yeah. people come out and have an experience with us and they're like, wow, we've got a big problem with plastic pollution. Right. Well, you know, on the other flip side of that. You know, we're not just out there showing people what the problem is and, you know, trying to restore these marshes and clean them up. Right. On the flip side of that, we're working behind the scenes to develop good policy, you know, in state and local government. Right. That's that's going to protect that and ensure, you know, ensure it doesn't get worse and, you know, try to make it better. Right. So, you know, not only are we out there like getting dirty. But we're, you know, in city councils, we're in the General Assembly in Columbia, you know, having those conversations, trying to develop a good policy. And a lot of times that stuff just happens behind the scenes and nobody thinks about it. But there's always these really cool opportunities to connect people with that process, whether it be, you know, sending a letter to your state representative or your state senator or, you know, showing up at a town of Mount Pleasant council meeting and, and using the public comment period to, to talk about, you know, what these issues mean to you. And, you know, when, when, when I walk into the room, you know, I'm a crazy conservationist, tree hugger, you know, type, I've got an agenda, right? My agenda is <laughs> clean water. Everybody knows that, right? But when ordinary, you know, citizens, right, you know, come, they spend their time to do it, they show up at a council meeting, they call their senator, they, you know, we've even had a few drive to Columbia, To testify, you know, in in Columbia on different issues. And, you know, you you ought to see your elected, they sit, they sit up straighter, they listen closer, they, you know, they, they, you know, they, 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 they really, you know, holding, you know, (laughs) you know, holding them to account for the responsibility that they have to represent you and the issues that are important to you especially on conservation and clean water issues, I think is so critically important. And I I love playing, I love being that little conduit (laughs) for making that happen. And, you know, people always ask too, they're like, well, what should I say? Or, you know, I don't want to say anything wrong. Or, you know, do you have talking points? And, you know, really, I mean, sometimes we do that, you know, like here's some good talking points to hit, but a, a lot of times. It's encouraging folks to speak with their own voice and find their own voice. Those are the messages that really resonate, right? Not, not the canned, coordinated response that came from a conservation organization or an environmental nonprofit. I mean, that's important, right? That's, yep. that's important, but I, I think what, what really is important is when people speak from their own experience. You know, I fish there, right? the marsh isn't the same as it always is. And, you know, we're filling it full of trash or, you know, the marsh is dying back, you know, and or whatever it is. And so, you, you know, when you speak from that personal place, you, you get, you know, the message resonates a lot stronger with your elected officials. And I think they, they, they listen a lot closer. And I think they, they take those stories to heart. I, you know, I know they do. I've, I've heard that directly from them. So, you, you know playing that little that little pipeline, I think it's just I, I, I love that. I, I think it's it's neat to see folks stand up and speak on behalf of their waterways and why they're important to them. I just I, I love that and it's it's always really rewarding. and so you know the, I, I wish I wish we could do that all day every day. Um, but we try to maximize those opportunities for folks. you know it's another way like just you know it, it seems sort of silly, but just getting on Charleston Waterkeepers mailing list our email list yep. can connect you with those types of opportunities uh, when they come up. Yep. Yep.
0: And, and I mean, I, I literally am a, an, an example of getting plugged into the waterkeeper network um, with volunteering. I, I just can't, I can't drive that home enough for, for me personally and for anyone out there that's like, you know, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed or you're having, you know, a, a anxiety about what's happening to the environment. Like it, it, it's, a very uh, rewarding feeling to get out and look at the the progress that you made and a morning or an afternoon to to clean up an area um, but that's also something so, so 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 a couple of things I want to talk about with your volunteer program um, one there, there's always like trash cleanups and those are like everywhere but also uh, there's volunteer events for uh, rebuilding oyster reefs and and shells i was wondering if you could you could touch on a little bit of that because the the reason i bring that up is for um you know since we are on the the sustainable (laughs) angler is that um there's so many um benefits to so you you take plastic out uh, in a cleanup but with a with an oyster restoration project you're helping to really um enhance the fishery and so i just uh there, there may be people listening who maybe never never heard of this but if you could just shed a little light on that i thought that would be cool
1: yeah i uh man the the, the lowly little oyster right not yeah. only do they taste great but they, they do all this other wonderful stuff i uh yeah i mean we we can look at this whole issue of clean water through the lens of the oyster period uh which would be maybe the subject of a whole not <laughs> whole nother episode but uh Uh, Yeah, I, you know, and huge shout out to South Carolina Department of Natural Resources here. They have the the SCORE program, the South Carolina Oyster Recycling and Enhancement Program. And so uh, they, you know, state funded program uh, that does a lot of different things, right? One is, you know, they collect shell from restaurants. Uh, the other thing they do is they buy shell. So the another kind of dirty secret about Charleston is uh, a lot of our shell that comes out of local waterways doesn't go back in, right? It'll end up in a landfill or end up in somebody's driveway or something like that. So we have to we actually have to buy shell to restore. We have to buy shell from the Gulf or other places to restore. South Carolina oyster beds, which is just insane to me. I mean, I think you almost have to have a deposit on your oyster shell, make sure it goes back in. That's another story too. But, you know, DNR, you know, purchases, you know, or recycles the shell stock. And then, uh, you know, they're a a smaller part of DNR and got a, a really great crew, a super dedicated staff to that program. What they were lacking, you know or what they always need is big groups of volunteers and so it was just kind of a natural partnership between Charleston Waterkeeper and our ability to mobilize big groups of volunteers and um, the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources score program so we do a lot of different activities for that crew um, we do uh, we do what's called a oyster recycling event or a trash picking event where after the shell's been, you know, after you've, you you know, had your oyster roast or whatever, you know, and you drop off at a DNR drop-off site, that shell goes to a facility where it's quarantined, right? So, you know, all the bacteria and everything else can die off. And and it sits there in big piles and just bakes in the sun, right? Very complicated process. (laughs) You just want to keep it dry and, and uh, with the sun and, and the, you know, and, and the dryness do its thing. But, You know, there's this thing, like, if you've ever been to an oyster roast, you know, that barrel in the middle of the table, like, everything goes in there, right, Right not just the shell. And so, you know, it's beer cans, it's oyster knives, it's, you know, towels, it's, you know, cracker sleeves, it's, uh, you know, little plastic ramekins and silverware and, you know, that sort of stuff. And it all ends up in that oyster bin. If there could be one takeaway from this, it's like, don't <laughs> throw your trash in the oyster barrel, right? That should be clean shell only or, you know, use shell only. But uh, I was, you know, thinking about doing a little campaign about like roast like a pro or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I support roast that. Like a pro. Yeah. Roast like a local. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, all that shell goes then to be quarantined. And, and we work with DNR, we put groups of volunteers out there with trash pickers and they pick all that plastic and debris out of the shell so that it, All that debris doesn't then go in the water with with the new shell when you replant an oyster bed. So after the shell's been quarantined, it goes over to um, the uh, Fort Johnson DNR site on James Island and uh, it'll get dropped off there in a big pile. Uh, And then we uh, DNR uh, has this really great method for. You know, for putting the shell into bags. Right. And so we'll bring a group of volunteers. I mean, we've had some huge groups over there, 100, 110, 120 people. Everybody's got shovels uh, and bags and you literally you fill up these bags with oyster shell uh, and then you stack them on pallets and man, you go home for now. You don't need to go to the gym. You know, you're ready for a beer at about noon. It's just, you know, it's a really physically uh, demanding thing, but it's fun and really rewarding. Uh, You know, you get a big group of people and the pile goes down and, you know, we've been able to finish the pile a few times, which is always really exciting. So that that shell then gets... That shell then during the oyster harvesting season, we're working on bagging with DNR. And so, you know, there'd be a bunch of pallets lined up and stored up. And then in the summer months, when uh, the oysters are reproducing during uh, the oyster reproduction, you know, in the, in the summer and when there's no harvesting going on because water temperatures are too warm. Uh, we're working with DNR to take that bag shell and then build new oyster reef with it, you know, out in creeks, out in marshes uh, and you know that's that's always a lot of fun too. You know because it it involves boats, it involves oyster shells, usually involves a tidal creek or a river or something. And you know you start putting like a lot of your favorite things together in one place, and um, basically you you form a big sort of daisy chain bucket brigade and hand the bags, and then you've got a couple DNR staffers who sort of construct the reef. Uh, and so again, you know you, we're we're providing the physical labor and the muscle. And uh, DNR has got the knowledge and the know-how and the experience. It's been uh, a lot of really, uh, a lot of really great partnership. I can't speak highly enough for the folks in that program. I think it's one of my favorite things that DNR does. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but uh, <laughs> so really, you could you could come help clean up the shell. You could bag the shell, and then you could put the shell in the water. Yeah. Right. And you know, you're seeing that full. Well, actually, l- let's start there. Let's 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 make a full circle out of that because you could. Eat the oyster, right? <laughs> right? You could clean its shell, then you could bag its shell, and then you can put it back in the water to grow new oysters where you can then harvest them and eat them again. Right. right. It's a hundred percent renewable resource. And that's yep. that's why I think it, you know, I think it's really important that we make sure that all the shell that comes out of South Carolina waters goes back into South Carolina water. I mean, yeah. the idea that we have to use, you know, shell from Mississippi or from Florida or from wherever drives me nuts, right? Yeah, I mean, why crazy. should why should we have Virginia oyster shells here? We should have South Carolina shells here.
0: Which, right? by the way, if you have never had a low country oyster. You are missing out on the greatest yeah. oyster on the planet. <laughs> um, we have what are Best called yeah, for sure, yeah. Uh, what, what are called blades, and they're they're in clusters. So they're not your famous singles that you get in, in New Orleans or or wherever on the on the half shell. These are clusters, yeah. and they are salty and they are delicious as is.
1: Yeah, um. they're they're per, they're perfect, and they have just the right amount of salt. I mean, yeah. you know.
0: <laughs> yeah so maybe maybe, like home. maybe maybe i'll have to edit that out um we don't want anyone <laughs> coming in for our oysters but um all right cool well well so we uh did you have anything else you wanted to, to, to,
1: to, no, add to I, that? yeah i just you know again like that whole crew at dnr really enables that work to happen and it's just been a nice marriage of like volunteer muscle and, and yep. dnr know-how um but
0: well well, one one of the things that I wanted to hopefully kind of get a, get an update on, um, just because there may be you know a lot a lot of people listening who, because of quarantine and everything else, maybe haven't been as involved. Is what are like I, I've read a little about it, but I, but I'll, I'll, I, if, if you could provide an update on sort of what what's some of the latest water whether it's water quality, which by the way we haven't necessarily touched on as much. Y'all do a lot with uh, water quality monitoring, but sure. what are some of the environmental threats that the Charleston Waterkeeper helps with, and and what what's sort of the latest on on, on that front?
1: Well, yeah, I, you know, so we we have two two different water quality testing programs. Uh, one one we call the Swim Team, where we test bacteria levels um, every Wednesday, um, May through the end of October, and we're capturing the recreational season when folks are out swimming and paddling and, and that sort of thing, and. You know, the idea there is like, is it safe to go swimming? Can I take my kids swimming? And, you, know, am, am, you know, do I need to be worried about getting sick? And so we sample for a species of indicator bacteria called Enterococcus that's, a, you know, highly associated with the intestines of warm-blooded animals, you know, dogs, cats, uh, birds, you, me, right? Uh, you know, pretty much sums up all the different sources of bacteria. Um and you know we see you know roughly 30 to 35 percent of our samples fail every year, right? So really important that fa- folks pay attention to that data if they want to know when and where it's safe to go swimming. The, the other thing that we do on water quality testing wise is what we call the creek Watchers. And so we have a, a network of uh, about 12, 13 volunteer creek watchers, and they adopt a site and they go out and test it every month. And so we're after temperature, salinity, dissolved oxygen, uh, turbidity, uh, pH, and then they also do dolphin surveys. They do surveys for um, for uh, invasive algae species. They do. Um, uh, they actually do pellet and like nurdle counts, and we can talk about the nurdles <laughs> yeah, yeah. in a minute. But, uh, you know, yeah, so, so they're, they're really, they're serving as our eyes and ears, right? They're out there kind of, and, you know, the, the idea with those water quality parameters is to kind of, they're like the vital signs. You, know, you go to a doctor, they take your, your, your blood pressure and your pulse rate, right? Similar things, you know, if dissolved oxygen is out of whack or if turbidity is really high, like you can start to draw certain you know, conclusions about what may or may not be happening in particular waterways, but it's just a good way for us to you know the other thing too is they've become sort of de facto Charleston waterkeeper ambassadors. You know, they roll up with a little water quality testing bucket, start doing all this sampling work, and folks are like, Well, hey, what are you doing? What's going on here? You know, is it okay? Like what 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 does the data show you? You know, and they they become uh they become ambassadors for us, which has <laughs> been really cool. Yeah. I didn't that's expect awesome. that to happen at first. Yeah. And you know, again, like it's, you know, it's one thing to hear it from us, but it's another thing to hear it from a volunteer who's doing it, you know, because they love the work, you know, and they love doing the sampling and they love being out, you know, near the creek or whatever, near the river, wherever they are. Um, so, you know, highly encourage folks to pay attention to that. I mean, it's really good citizen science about what the state of your waterways are, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there really isn't You know, I mean, we were surprised to learn years ago that, you know, there really wasn't a lot of water quality testing going on. Right. You know, there might only be a handful of sites that gets tested by DHEC every year. DNR is pretty good about testing oyster beds uh, because those beds have to be open for either recreational commercial shellfishing. And so that's jobs, right? Jobs and money on the line. And so there's a little bit more resources to go into the the shellfish safety testing. But um, in terms of just ambient water quality monitoring, like what are the conditions if I want to go swimming? Nobody could answer that question before we started doing that work. So, you know, we found some areas like James Island Creek and Shem Creek that have really high levels of bacteria. And we started then advocating for uh, communities to step up and take responsibility for cleaning those up you see uh, a lot of good work going on in Chem Creek right now but also uh, there's been a task force an intergovernmental task force formed on on uh, around James Island Creek you know city county town uh, that are going to be responsible for uh, identifying and implementing projects that will limit the amount of bacteria that's being discharged into into James Island Creek so it's going to be going to be slow grinding work, but uh, we're in it for the long haul. And, and you know, hopefully, um, you know, when when I pass this work off to somebody else, we can start talking about what a success story James Island Creek is in terms of getting it cleaned up, and making it safe for swimming. Uh, so th- those types of, you know, direct water quality issues are always you know, are always hot, right? The 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 one that sprung up here in 2019 and 2020 is these these little plastic uh, nurdles. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of that in the paper, but. Yep. Um, you know rick it's funny that you know the the um, you know we were looking at this plastic pollution problem like i mean what do you see in the marsh right you see bottles bags styrofoam like that kind of it's a consumer single use stuff it gets used once blows out of the back of the boat out of a pickup truck whatever you know and, and that, that's one set of problems one set of solutions you know and and you know communities all around the harbor have stepped up and you know enacted these single use plastic pollution bans and you know the the aquariums keep been some really good data about the different types and amounts of debris that comes out of our waterways and what's ending up in the turtles and and things like that. And you can bet if it's in turtles, it's also in birds and it's also in fish. And so, you know, we were feeling pretty good and you know about some of the progress that the Charleston community, all Charleston communities all around the harbor, have made on that issue. <clears throat> and then, um, gosh, let me think. It was it was the uh, uh, summer of two thousand. It was July in two thousand nineteen. We got a from one of our supporters who walks his dogs on the beach at Sullivan's every morning and he's like hey there are these tiny little plastic beads all over the place here and like who you know this isn't right you know who, who should i report it to and so we helped him get it reported and then uh went out there to check it out and collected a bunch of samples and you know really quickly learned way more than i ever thought i would about nurdles and plastic production. (laughs) And you know, they're they're actually called pellets. Nobody really knows where this name nurdle came from. But so when you mix the chemicals together to make plastic, it's it they form it into these these nurdles. And they're about the size of a um like a lentil or something like that. Right. And they get manufactured down in the Gulf uh Mexico area and then they get brought up here by train. And then uh, at a facility, the name of the company is called Frontier Logistics, but at that facility that operates at, uh, at Union Pier downtown, they take them out of those train cars, use a pneumatic machine that kind of sucks them out of the train car, and then they put them into bags. And then they sew the bags shut. Those bags get stacked onto pallets. Those pallets go into containers, and then those containers go all over the world. And so, if you are making, I don't know, like a a big pen or an iPhone case or anything made out of plastic, chances are it started as a pellet, as a nurdle. Okay. Uh, and so they're sort of the the raw material that you make, you know, that you mold things out of, plastic things. And so that you know what we what we started to do was take samples, right? We, uh, developed, uh, with the help of a researcher at the university of Texas at Austin, uh, developed a 10 minute sampling protocol that we could really quickly and easily deploy. And basically you go out, you you find the, the, um, the the high tide, the most recent, you know, high tide line, and you get down on your hands and knees and use your fingertips to sift through the sand or the rack or the grass or whatever. And you pick up as many pellets as you can find in in 10 minutes, right? And so on average, we find 50 to 60 in 10 minutes, just about every time we look yeah, everywhere. Rick, we got to go out and do this sometime. It'll blow your mind. Like how many of these things are out there. And once you start looking, you can't unsee the problem. Uh, like if I go for a walk on a beach or something, I can't help myself. <laughs> like I've got to look and its I mean, it, it's really torturous because, you know, once you see these things, you can't unsee them. Yeah. So long story short is what, you know, when we, we did, we've got like 14, 15, uh, oh man, I can't remember. I, I mean, it's probably 15 months of sampling now. And the closer you get to the frontier facility at Union Pier, the higher the densities you get per 10 minutes. And so despite all that evidence, you know, DHEC has never lodged an enforcement action or any kind of fines or penalties against this company. And that's just not right. I mean, it can't be, you know, I mean, well, obviously, we, we, you know, we welcome business into our community. There's no question about that, right? Sure. But businesses that can't operate without spilling plastic into the harbor, you know, that's just not acceptable. Right. You yeah. know, it, it's, it's not acceptable to come here still, you know, and then say, Hey, it's not ours. I mean, right. that's been the answer so far. It's not ours. We don't know where it came from. Right. Oh. And <laughs> I mean, it's, nice. it's right. And you know, it's, it's like, it's, you know, the answer was it's not ours and you can't prove it is right. Uh, and so I mean, we were like, well, Yeah, we can. (laughs) I mean, we have this. You know, these densities get higher and higher, and they're the highest on either side of the facility. Like, if on average we're, you know, fifty, you know, fifty to sixty, when we get, you know, close to the facility, we're like one hundred (laughs) and twenty, right, per ten minutes. They're all along the fence line of the facility. If you go sit, you know, they so wind, wind, rain uh, you, you know, floods, all that, you know, washes this stuff right into the harbor where then it just sort of disperses out. And, um, you know, after it's been spilled, I mean, the, you know, the, what's going on here is this, you know, they're just operating, you know, the whole business of, of transporting and bagging these things is built on volume, uh, speed and speed. And so, you know, if, a, if a you know, pallet spills over and these things go all over the ground, nobody stops to clean them up. You know, if the pneumatic machines break down and the nurdles spill all over the, you know, warehouse floor, you know, at one point they were using blowers to, you know, and and not cleaning up. Right. And so these things were just, you know, escaping and, you know, washing into the water during rain, flood storms and stuff like that. And so, you know, that's I mean, we, you know, as the last resort in this case, you know, DHEC wouldn't act, you know, there was there was no enforcement action. We used what's called the citizen suit provision of the Federal Clean Water Act to file, and, and the citizen suit provision under the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, two big pieces of federal legislation that that lay out the framework to protect local waterways. We used those citizen suits to, to sue in federal court to get this company, you know, to get the pollution stopped and to hold them accountable for the pollution that's already out there. Yeah. But once these things escaped, I mean, it's, you know, damn near impossible to clean them up, right? Yep. I mean, they're tiny and they're so dispersed. And so, you know, those, those cases right now, we feel confident we've got a lot of good data and evidence that, you know, points to this company as the culprit. Um, those, those cases right now are working their way through federal court downtown in Charleston. Um, and, you, you know, this, it's really, I mean, it's, you know, this only case of its kind in the country, there's been one other case that dealt with a manufacturer of these pellets that was that the manufacturer itself was discharging these things into the uh into um into the San Antonio Bay. And here, you know, we're dealing with a a transporter, right? Which yeah. is a little bit different of an issue. But uh you know those two you know, our case and the case in Texas uh are the only two that I know about nationally. Uh, on, on this issue, and the the one in Texas, they won a fifty million dollar judgment against its largest uh, largest settlement in uh, Clean Water Act history uh, wow. for the kind of blatant and um, disregard and discharging these things into the you know San Antonio Bay. So um, remains to be seen. You know, twenty twenty one is going to reveal a lot on that issue. I think coming forward. So. What's going on with that one? <laughs> yeah,
0: well, no, it makes you think. I mean, if if there's only two cases, because I because I've seen pictures, I've I've been following the story through y'all's social media and, and and the Post and Courier, and these, I mean, they're about the size of like a fish egg, and they're the ones that oh. I saw were like clear, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, you know, how would you know if you weren't specifically, you know dialed into like, this is what I'm looking for. They're probably I'm sure that they're everywhere along, along the transport of, 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 from where they're manufactured to where they're put on a ship. And
1: yep, that's just the half Mm -hmm. of it. Right. And, and, you know, you only know what you're looking for and you don't know to look until, you know, somebody reports something to you, somebody gives you a tip or you notice it yourself. And so, you know, it's a a couple of things there is one, you know, we rely on citizens a lot to tip us off to issues. Uh, and so, you know, we're always kind of feeling those calls and emails, but, um, you know, you, 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 mentioned that they look like fish eggs and they, you know, they, they look, especially when they're floating in the water, when they're strewn, you know, kind of across the the rack line at the high tide, they're all kind of mixed in with little dead pieces of spartina and other organic debris. They, they, they stand out to fish and to birds as food sources, right? You know, fish and birds are, you know, call them sort of, um, you know, opportunistic feeders, right? They, yep. you know, something stands out in the environment, and it reads to it reads to them as a food source, right? Uh, you know, you think about the way fish feed a lot of times, or the way birds feed, and and you know, you can see what a problem these things can become really quickly. You know, they can get mistaken for food, and the other thing too is the science shows that you know plastic in the marine environment actually becomes more and more toxic over time which is a terrible thought right so Not only do you have this problem with like, you know Impaction right like birds and fish getting sort of impacted with plastic debris But you also have this issue of the plastic that they're taking in is soaking up other pollutants in the water and Actually becoming more and more toxic which can be a which can be a big problem Like if you care at all about wildlife or fishing, I mean the the plastic pollution is just a terrible you know, a terrible scourge right now. And, you know, the aquarium, you know, they've got some really, you know, striking data about what comes in in turtles, which is, you know, when they bring them into the hospital, they will actually, you know, pull all the plastic debris out of their stomachs. Oh, God. Oh, it's awful. I mean, it's awful. And so, you know, that, you know, the step one is, you know, look, I mean, you know, we need to get this problem stopped, right? You know, step two is we need to make sure we have the appropriate, you know, uh, policy structure that prevents this kind of thing from happening in the first place. And so... Um, State Senator Sandy Sen has been a real leader on that issue and has really advocated pretty strongly. She took a, she took a jar of our nurdles that we had collected, uh, you know, just to to show people what they are, you know, sort of for demonstration purposes, but she took them up to Columbia and was, uh, you know, at the well that they called the, you know, the podium there in the Senate, the well and, and, you know, held them up to show people like, look, you know, these things are all over the place in Charleston. And so it was a real visceral reminder for folks about how big an issue this is, but you know, she's been a fantastic advocate for local waterways on that issue.
0: Yep. Um, That's awesome. Well, well, there's there's one, because I do want to shift gears and talk about some of those solutions and and success stories Mm -hmm. um, from Charleston Waterkeeper, um, for example, at the policy level with with bans and things like that. But one thing that I was curious about before we and I want to make sure we're also covering it because y'all do so much. I do want to make sure we're, we're covering everything. <laughs> but 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 yeah. we've, w- with regards to to water quality, um, and and the bacteria. Just for my mm-hmm. own clarification, that bacteria is that that that's related to sewage. Am I understanding that? But also, I guess stormwater runoff and
1: so think about it this way right uh the answer is yes and yes and yes uh so you know it it uh you know the sources of bacteria are are, you know there's no mystery there right so it's it's some you know if you take uh, a creek like james island creek that has high levels of bacteria uh it's going to be some combination of uh leaky sewer infrastructure sewer overflows uh uh, high densities of septic tanks, uh, dog waste, believe it or not, there's a lot of bacteria per, you know, ounce of material. Uh, so, you know, uh, sewer infrastructure, septic tanks, dog waste, uh, and, and wildlife waste, right? So raccoons, birds, you know, um, congregate in small areas. Like I know, uh, stormwater ponds with geese can be a big problem. Oh, interesting. Uh, The other, the other can be discharges from vessels that have, you know, discharges from boats with a head system. Um, You know, usually your head system has a Y valve after the tank and it can go to a deck fitting where you can pump it out or it can go overboard uh, right into the water. And so, uh, you know, there's no mystery about what the sources of bacteria are. The relative contributions among those things is always, that's where the dirty details are. And you know, it's almost a bit of a red herring, in my opinion, to chase down exactly what is the biggest contributing source, because I think it changes, right? Yeah. It it changes based, and, and you hit on it, the, the stormwater, right? So stormwater is the pathway for a lot of this stuff to get into the creek, right? So, you know, a, a septic tank drain field inundates in a flooding event, and then as that water drains away, it goes right into the nearest creek or river. Um, sewer overflows onto the street during a heavy rainstorm. You know, it goes with the rainwater down the drain and in the pipe right out to the creek. It, you know, that's an important takeaway is that our stormwater here in Charleston isn't treated, right? What goes down the drains goes right out into the harbor, right out into James Island huh. Creek, right into the Ashley River. There's there's no treatment on that, right? Some communities, you know, they have a different way of doing it up north. But in, and in some of the bigger urban cities, you, you know, they have a little different way of doing it where they combine stormwater and sewage water in the same set of pipes that leads to another set of problems <laughs> here we have one set of pipes for drainage and another set of pipes for you know for sewers right for yep. for the poop water um and so you, you know it, it's that storm water a lot of times is the pathway for the bacteria to end up in the water itself so you know the the solutions you know can be something as simple as as you know dogway stations like you know making sure that you can't go more than a, a block or you know a half a mile or a quarter mile or something like that without bumping into one of those things you know and encouraging folks to do the right thing especially in their own backyard you know that's yep. that's a big one um had a guy tell me one time how concerned he was for standing in his backyard on here at Shem creek and he's telling me oh i'm just so concerned about all this bacteria and yeah, you know, I'm looking around and there's, you know, there's dog poop all over the <laughs> yard. I said, well, you know, step one. Right? <laughs> he, he goes, oh, no, 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 that's good for the water. I, you know, it's good. It's good nutrients, right, for the marsh. I just fling it into the marsh when I clean no. it up. I said, right. Yeah, no joke. No joke. And you know it's sort of old kind of cultural practices like that. I think that need to change a little bit. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that thinks it's okay to leave dog waste, you know, like on on the street or in the public park or something like that. I think most people are pretty good about that piece, although you you know you do find it sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean maybe maybe more than sometimes. So, you know that that's that's a big issue you know that's that's the big issue with bacteria is you 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 need a set of solutions that looks at all those right you know requirements for folks to get their septic tanks pumped out and maintained you want to make sure that your water and sewer utilities are focusing uh repair and maintenance work in vulnerable areas around creeks where you know they know that overflows are happening yep. you, you know you you want to make sure folks are picking up after their dogs you want to make sure you're you know you have a good lock on your dumpster behind your grocery store right so raccoons don't get in there you know and you know attracting nuisance wildlife or something like that that can then lead to you know a lot of waste in one place that washes into the creek it's super sexy work when you're talking about poop and <laughs>
0: stuff like that well no what's interesting is I've, I've 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 done some interviews recently and we were talking about particularly in florida where they have a lot of these same issues um because yeah. the 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 septic tanks were built into a porous right uh, right, and so they're like whoever came up with this, they're like br- brilliant decision. They're like all all the sewage <laughs> is going right into yeah. these bays, and, and, so, and so what's yeah. interesting is that you you find, or at least I'm I, I learn a lot doing these interviews, and that's one of the things that I I, I, I love about doing these is that you find these same issues. In in coastal areas for for different reasons, um, but at the end of the day, there, you know, there there are solutions. Um, right. We've just got to have the sort of the the education and the wherewithal to, to get them going, which I yeah. think is what what Waterkeeper is helping us do.
1: Well, yeah. And, you know, Rick, you hit on something there too, you know, like, so waterkeeper, you know, Charleston waterkeeper for maybe some of your listeners that aren't in the Charleston area, you know, we're the waterkeeper for just Charleston. I, you know, you, there's tons of waterkeepers working in Florida, North Carolina All up and down the East Coast, all through the Gulf, you know, on the West Coast, even internationally. We've got water keepers in Mexico and Central and South America. We've got water keepers in China. Um, We've got uh, a a real growing program on the African continent. I mean, there is a global network of folks just like us that are doing this work on a local level in their communities. and so you know, if, 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 you know, if you're in Florida, I'd highly encourage you to look up your local waterkeeper. If, I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, taking that dream fishing trip somewhere internationally, you know, there's probably a waterkeeper close by or working, you know, on on conservation issues that are important to their waterways and their communities. And so, you know, I think that's one thing that's totally unique and really cool about, the waterkeeper movement and network is you know there's these identifiable people waterkeepers speaking for and on behalf of their local communities and local waterways and just a great way i mean we were talking a little bit earlier you know about you know about getting active as a way to you know kind of counteract the sort of you know, onslaught of bad news and dire predictions about climate. And we haven't even touched climate change. Oh, well, right? and I was what concerned. that's doing local that, No,
0: right. the, the, we, I think we're going to have to have a part two yeah. you know, to, to, yeah. to, to this interview yeah. for that.
1: I, you know, the Post and Courier has been doing some excellent reporting yeah. on climate yeah. change with that rising water series. And like, you know, big, big kudos to that crew and, you know, Tony Bartlemay and, you know, Glenn Smith. And so they've been doing just a fantastic. Chloe Johnson's been doing a lot of good reporting on that. It's just been really, really need to see Post and Courier pick that up. I mean, yeah, we could do a whole thing on, on, you know, and we're, we're working through this too, you know, this idea of climate resilient waterways. Right. I mean, not only did we need to protect our local waterways from climate change. Right. But we also need to look at them as part of the solution. Right. Uh, You know, they're, (laughs) I mean, think about like we talk about climate change and it's all about like flooding and intense rainstorms. Well, you know what, over eons, you know, billions of years of geologic process, nature designed this really awesome way to deal with flooding. It's called a wetland. (laughs) And if we could just leave the dang things alone, right? Like let's just not build on them. Let's just not drain them. Let's just, I mean, let's just protect them. Right. We would, we would be so far ahead of ourselves when, where we are right now. And it just, like, you know, that the wetland protection, saltwater wetlands, freshwater wetlands, forested wetlands. Oh my gosh. Like I, that's one of the things I think we're going to be moving towards. Waterkeeper is going to be moving more and more into that area here, moving forward. But, um, you know, it, uh, you know, that idea of, of solutions and successes and that sort of thing. I mean, it all starts with, you know, folks getting involved and get engaged where you can see sort of the, you can see the impact of your actions, How, you know, and, and, you know, however small, right? It it you know sometimes it might only be a bag of trash on a Saturday. You know, other times you know it might be a trip to Colombia to testify, and then you know a particular action that your elected leaders take in Colombia that comes out the way you were advocating for. I mean, those right. are really, I mean, in, you know, you mentioned the the single use plastic pans. I mean, that's a big one, and you know the effort that's undergone or the effort that's been undertaken. Gosh, I mean, this will be the sixth year in a row now. I think you know. There's this idea of the the ban on bans, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, the I mean, it's I mean, uh, it's almost laughable, right? Like that. (laughs) You know, the South Carolina General Assembly, with all that's going on in the state, you know, and all that we need to accomplish, is so concerned about uniformity, and uh, it just it boggles the mind that you know the South Carolina General Assembly is going to tell the town of Mount Pleasant or the city of Charleston what rules they can and can't make about single-use plastic pollution. I mean, it's insane, you know, Columbia needs to focus on other things, not, you know, not our efforts to, you know, our efforts to limit the amount of trash in our waterways. I mean, it would be nice if we could get some help with that issue (laughs) rather than having to fend fend off an effort to stop it. Um, But yeah, there's, I mean, great, you know, we, you know, other communities, those, the ban on bans just rolls through state legislators. Legislature super easy, right? But here we've fought it and stopped it for the last six years straight, right? Yep. I mean, that's, that's really remarkable. Uh, really remarkable. I mean, folks, folks should be proud of that. It, you know, it, it doesn't happen because of us. It happens because people speak up and, you know, they let their, they let their local elected reps. I mean, you know, they, they let their local rep, did, you know, elected officials know exactly what they think of those, Right? Their, yep. you know, their state. I mean, <laughs> that's just, that's just really cool. You know, it's really cool. Well, I mean, I- I, you know, oh, go ahead.
0: Well, no, I was just—I was just going to say. I mean, I, I would not have known about this if it wasn't for Charleston Waterkeeper, and so I, I testified in Charleston and and in Columbia when there was a city ban in Charleston and drove out to Columbia to let them know. Because and for me, not only just as an angler, but it's you know I, I have children, like you know this is what we're leaving them. This is our legacy, and um, I, I, I have to say, I mean, it was it. I guess the best word for it was empowering to to right. to, to to voice my my opinion and uh, my belief that you know hey we we need to be doing something about this and um, it was I, I would encourage everyone who is concerned or feels this way with uh, w- with an opportunity to uh, let your elected officials know they should take it um, because yes. it,
1: it, it's well worth the the, the time i'm I'm glad you used that word empowering I you summed that up really well, and that, that word empowering I think is important because that's what it is. I mean to be an active participant in this process is empowering i We had a woman a couple of years ago went up and it was the first time she'd ever done anything like that and um you know, all the hearings and everything were in the morning, so after it was all over and before driving back we 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 got lunch in columbia and I mean she was literally buoyant like you could the excitement and the energy was just like inc- incredible i mean and you know, it was <laughs> to have that sort of awakening and be empowered like that is a powerful thing. You know, yep. and, you know, we, we get we get the clean water policies. We get you know, we we get the focus that we demand as citizens. Right. And so it's, you know, and even when it doesn't come out exactly the way you want it or maybe you lose, it happens. Right. But it is empowering and rewarding to have participated in that process. Um, it's always best to win, (laughs) but but it's always best to win, but you know, it having, you know, (laughs) I mean, you know, it's easy to be, it's easy to be an armchair critic. Right. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, like the Monday morning quarterback thing, right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You, You know, hindsight's, you know, 20, I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can put it, but you know, to have participated, you know, to have gotten on the field and fought the battle, Yep. Where it's at, like you know, we need to get people off the couch and get them involved. <laughs> I, I, well,
0: I, I, I think that that's yeah. a, a, a great way to to put it because, like you said, you know, there you, you either you, you don't have any regrets if you voice your opinion and you make right. your voice heard, whether you win or lose. Of course, you, you want to win, but you can't say that you didn't do everything within your, uh, you know, uh, uh ability or, or, um, you know you've done everything you could at that point is basically, you right. know, if you're, you're, you're participating in cleanups, you're seeing the problem. Um, you're voicing your opinion at a policy level, uh, that can affect po- policy in a, in, in a positive way. And, and as a result of that have, uh, a, a more resilient environment, um, then you, you're, you, you, you've won in my opinion, but, um, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and you know, it, 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 right. And it's it, it, I, let me tell you a story. I, I remember when we were working with of Mount Pleasant on their single use plastic ban. Um, it was the night of the the final, you know, the final vote, and um, the the room had filled up, and you know, people. The public comment period had started, and uh, this woman who uh, Cheryl and I recognized from from our cleanups got up. And uh, she kind of grabbed the grabbed the mic and pulled it down a little bit, and and says, "She's like, I do cleanups for Charleston Waterkeeper. I've seen this problem, and it's bad. <laughs> and so <laughs> like that. And you should have seen you know councils. You know backs get straight. You know they lean in to listen, and you know it like that sort of first first hand experience. Like that carries the day. That firsthand, I, I saw this problem." I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm a voter. (laughs) I'm paying attention. I'm educated about this issue. I've taken action on this issue. And I'm here, you know, I'm here to tell you that you need to do this thing tonight. Like it, it, I mean, that is such a, such a powerful message, such a powerful message. And, you know, I mean, those are the, those are the successes. Those things don't always make the headlines, you know, they don't like that piece doesn't make the headline, you know, and but those are those, those, I mean, they should make the headlines. That should have been the headline. (laughs) 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 You know, that's just not the way the, not the way the world works, but you you know, it's, it's those little actions that people take that make the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's, um, yeah, I, I guess we might, you know, maybe just touch on that notion of resiliency and climate change and all that. And I, you know, I think uh we've had just a great conversation and we could fill up a whole nother probably half day talking about you know some of the impacts that we see here locally with with climate change and you know in in our waterways. I you know it's striking too, and talk a lot to some of the old time fishing guides here in town, you know, just how much things have changed you know in 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 their lifetimes uh which you know I mean you talk to some of these guys you know they go back to the 90s right i mean if you talk to some really old timers you know they might go back further but you know it's just amazing to hear those stories firsthand but um you know i i think you know that especially i think it was this sunday the post and courier wrote the, wrote the piece about you know tree canopies and how trees and all that can affect flooding or the loss of trees can affect flooding but you, you know I, I think we need to be thinking about that connection between the land and the water a lot more right yep. what we do on land impacts the quality and the health of our waterways and and i think you know i think we don't think about that enough and and in, in a in as a community we don't think about that enough and it's always struck me how you know your waterway your creek your river your harbor your bay your you know your you know your inland lake or whatever it is you know it, it's sort of the, the 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 least common denominator in the community it's the one thing that everybody well actually by law right uh by law has a right to and and it reflects our best and our worst all at the same time right it's where all the dirty pollution ends up right but it's also where you take your kid and they catch the first redfish right, right. or you know they first nail it with the cast net <laughs> or something, right. Right? right you know they hit that that big that big pancake and the eyeball goes up <laughs> 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 like, all right but uh uh you, you know it, it it reflects you know our best and our worst all at the same time and i think we've really got to come to grips with that as a community you know to 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 be able to leave the next generation something that's as special as what we inherited from the folks before us yeah yeah that's you know something we could you know and i think this you know this this threat of you know climate change and its impact here locally and our waterways and our marshes is you know going to be the real defining challenge moving forward
0: well i think well so part of as as you know what 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 i do with you know merger strategies is help businesses to Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um reduce their carbon footprint and so that that's part of it that's that's um that's that's mitigation i guess um in, in in terms of but what you're talking about in terms of some of the natural climate solutions that are, that are available, you know, that, that's really, uh, at this point is, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it, 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 it's almost an adaptation strategy because right. you're right. going, look, here's, you know, we're, we're seeing the sea level rise. I, I think the, the stat from Post and Courier was in 2019, there was 89 days of, of flooding. So, I mean, you, you, you cannot be a resident of the Low Country, whether it's in Charleston or Savannah, um, and not have experienced coastal flooding and say that that's not happening. Because that because right. I, I grew up here, and you know, in Savannah <laughs> right. and 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 Tabby Road, the road out to yeah. Tabby Island, never flooded, um, and now that's starting to happen more frequently when they get a, a lot of rain and bigger tides, and same things happening here. But we're also seeing it where it's sunny day flooding um and so that uh i guess it 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 really makes the problem even worse when you consider what charleston Waterkeeper is talking about with water quality issues right you you have a flood that's caused from sea level rise that puts bacteria out into the creeks where you recreate and where you fish Mm -hmm. and you surf um those are I i guess to, to the best way I can summarize it and, and the connection with land and water is that this is all interconnected and, and we, right. we've got to start paying closer attention to that and, 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 right. you know, it, it, it's, you know,
1: it's, it's, it's so true. It's, it's so true. And I, you know, I think a lot of times here locally, you know, we talk about flooding and some of those climate impacts through the lens of Property damage, you know, economic damage, inconvenience, and all, all of those things are important and true. But the, the the thing I think we don't talk about it enough is what it means for the health of our waterways, yeah. right? What it means for the health of the estuary, and and that's that's what really scares me. Every time there's a flood event, that is a huge, huge pollution event for your harbor, right? all that dirty water that you see folks running through and swimming in and wakeboarding and all that sort of thing. Right? It, it's not, you know, it doesn't just magically go I mean, it drains into the harbor, right? And it, it, you know, we've got to get a handle on that. And again, you know, there's, there's two parts here. There's protecting what's left of the wetlands, the forested, the freshwater wetlands, the saltwater wetlands that are able to be protected. But it is also re-engineering our built environment to mimic that natural relationship between land and water, where rainwater can soak in over time and not just run off into the, into the nearest creek or river. And, and that's, that's the piece, right? It, it, can't, it can't just be about seawalls and pumps, right? right. We're going to have to do some of that, right, in certain places. But, you know, we're not looking at this issue regionally, right? I mean, you know, the, the city of Charleston is pretty active on some of this, mostly through this idea of seawalls and pumps and stuff. But, you know, we're not talking about a countywide tri-county area. I mean, we're not even talking about it as a, as a whole sort of coastal empire, right? What You know, the, the coastal plain of South Carolina ought to be united on some of these issues. Yep. And I mean, let's, you know, I mean, we could go on and, you know, keep adjusting the scale upward. But I mean, let's just start with our county and then let's start with the eight coastal counties in the state. You know, the way we experience it here is very different from what the way they experience climate change and, and some of these issues in you know in Greenville or in Spartanburg or you know in Oconee County, right? You know, it's it's a lot more visceral here, you know, in, in our area because we're on the edge of the issue. <laughs> we're on the front lines of it, right? Yeah. We are on the front lines, you know, whether whether we like it or not or whether we admit it or not, we are. And you know, the sooner we can you know learn from nature and adapt the uh, the more resilient we will be and the more viable we will be as a community.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know and 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 maybe something that if if you don't live in the the low country you may not be aware of but like some of these sort of natural climate solutions that that we're talking about. I mean, for example, our marshlands. I mean, they right. they they are vast salt marshes and but they're not just full of redfish on flood tides or you know fiddler crabs and, <laughs> and blue crabs and and and, and provide a, a a nursery they also sequester large amounts of carbon and so right. if if these marshlands start to disappear disappear um we're also just adding insult to injury um but also things like Hey, you know, barrier islands, oyster beds that we talked about, oyster reefs. What are these things doing? Well, we when we experience a hurricane, these barrier islands and marshlands and oysters are the first line of defense to protect us from storm surge. And that is not man-made engineering. That is nature <laughs> saying, yeah. that "I I know best. I know how to best protect the the, the mainland." And here's sort of your first yeah. several lines of defense. And when we deteriorate that or weaken it, um, we we wind up paying
1: for it quite quite literally. We put right, you know, it's funny. We put all this, you know, all all this man-made, vulnerable, vulnerable built environment into a really dynamic system and then are surprised when, you know, we, we experience, you know, we experience impacts from that. And, you you know, I mean, I think we need to look towards nature, you know, it's not about pumps and seawalls it's about oyster beds and salt marsh restoration, you know, and, and, you know, providing corridors and pathways for that stuff to adapt to the changing conditions naturally. I think we do a lot better. And, and, I think we do a lot better to look, to look in that direction for solutions. I really do. Um, and I think the sooner we get there, the better.
0: Yeah. uh, and I, and I'll just get, I'll, I'll give this one mention. Um, if anyone out there listening is looking for to get inspired on climate action, um, check out project drawdown. It's a book. It's like 100 solutions to reverse global warming. I think they've got, I'm not, I can't remember what the website is. It might just be drawdown anyway. I'm just throwing it out there for interested. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting book to look at because they, I think they kind of marry some of these natural climate solutions with, all right, well, what do we need to do from, they just look at it from all different angles to see how we can solve it today with existing solutions. And part of this, what we're talking about these natural climate solutions is, is a big part of that.
1: Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> There's no shortage of experts. That, I mean, you know, right? We 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 know what to do. Like, yeah, yeah. The <laughs> we solutions are here. It's just, we can we take? Can we do it? Can yeah. we take the collective action necessary? Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Well, Andrew, where
0: can whether they're in Charleston or uh, yeah. regionally here, they want to get involved or make a donation to, to Charleston Waterkeeper? Where can they find volunteer? Uh, where 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 can they find more information?
1: There, uh, I mean, the easiest way for folks is to go to CharlestonWaterkeeper.org, and uh, you can do everything there. Uh, there's a handy little button if you're looking to support this kind of work financially, or make a donation or a gift. You know, you, there's a handy little button that says "Donate" yeah. <laughs> at the upper right hand corner of the website. <laughs> uh, if you're looking to get involved with uh, with your time and your talents and your efforts, uh, you can go to CharlestonWaterkeeper.org/volunteer. And that'll bring up a list of events and you can sign up for them uh, all online and that'll kind of log you in the system for a spot. And then uh, you'll start to hear from Cheryl Carmack, who will get you all dialed in for the for the next uh, operator, whichever opportunity you signed up for. Um, But, yeah, that's that's a great way. And, and, um, you know, hopefully in 2021, we'll be able to be out in the community a little bit more. So it's always fun to come out. Uh, you know, our local brewery community has been super supportive and, you know, it's always fun to, to drink a beer and talk clean water and, you know, meet some other like-minded people. So we'll start, you know, doing some of those types of events again, too, when it's a little safer for everybody to be together. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it all starts with, uh, it all starts with just coming out to an event, showing up. You yeah. know, it's we that's what we encourage people to do, you know, stand up, show up and speak up for clean water. That's awesome. Well, um, well, yeah.
0: I, I'd just like to also, before we um, wrap here, would like to say thank you to, to Andrew and Cheryl um, for for everything y'all do uh, for uh, for our water here in Charleston. Um, I personally love volunteering and getting involved on a on a policy level, but also um, I love that Charleston Waterkeeper, as Andrew said, is a conduit. Um, and is providing solutions to whether it's plastic pollution or climate change here here in our community and I'm, I'm grateful for that
1: so thank you well and thank you Rick really appreciate the opportunity to, to do this always fun to chat and um, you know big shout out for what you're doing too I think you know that idea of marriageing conservation and business you know together is is a real path and a, and a, and a model for going forward um, you know business and conservation aren't at the opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, I think, we, you know, we're starting to see this more and more. And so kudos for the good work that you're doing too. Well,
0: I, I, I appreciate it. Um, thanks for listening to the Sustainable Angler podcast and special thanks to Andrew Wonderly from Charleston Waterkeeper. Uh, the Sustainable Angler is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, Uh, leave a rating and review. That helps us out a lot. Thanks and have a great day.